This ministry has been made available by Kenneth Higgins Rama Bible Training Center, Nigeria. We've had a great weekend and we had a great time in church this morning. Well, this is a taster session, so it means we're opening it up to the public and um, some might be streaming in life also already. And um, the course we are taking is Biblical Prosperity. Biblical Prosperity. Biblical Prosperity. I believe the syllabus has been read. Uh, and um, the reading assignment for the course, who wants to remind me? The Midas Touch. All right. I'll add this to that. This is not required. This is not required. But it's a suggested reading. It's a suggested reading. It's not required, but it's a suggested reading. Biblical Keys to Financial Prosperity by Kenneth E. Hagin. Biblical Keys to Financial Prosperity by Kenneth E. Hagin. It's a suggested reading. It's not required. The required reading is the Midas Touch. But a suggested reading, additional suggested reading, in addition to Midas Touch, is Biblical Keys to financial prosperity. Well, um, today we're going to look at uh, a few basic things. We want to start off talking about the fact that we've been redeemed from poverty. Redeemed from poverty. That's what we're going to look at in the first hour. Redeemed from poverty. We can do justice to the biblical subject of prosperity without starting there. Let's turn to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. And I'll read two verses there. Galatians 3, verses 13 and 14. Galatians 3, 13 and 14. It says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Heavenly Father, we thank you because it's always a delight to study your word. Thank you because the entrance of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Our minds are open. Our spirits receptive. We trust that by your Spirit, you will open up the word of God to our spirits. Thank you because it's your will that we prosper. Thank you for giving us light on this subject. Thank you. Thank you for teaching us how to prosper and how to prosper your way with the right motives. Thank you for letting us see the purpose of your prosperity, that it's because of the work of God, because of the harvest, because of the lost. Thank you, Father God, because as a result of this class, our lives are impacted. And the work of God on the earth is enhanced. We give you praise for it. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Well, that scripture says that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Be made a curse for us. It says, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the spiritual faith. Let me say this definitely. It's God's will that we prosper. It's his will. It's his will. 
Yes, the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. Yes, the Bible says we can't serve God and mammon. That's in the Bible. The Bible teaches against materialism, against covetousness. That's very true. But you see, it's one thing to, for money to have you. It's another thing for you to have money. God doesn't want us to be materialistic. He doesn't want us to be covetous. He doesn't want us on that extreme. That isn't godly. That isn't right. But the truth is this. He wants us to prosper. It's his will that we prosper. Now, in the text we read, it says Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Now, what is that curse of the law that Christ has redeemed us from? No better way to find out than to go back to the law and find out what its curse is. Well, the term law, as it's used in the Bible, sometimes it refers to the Old Testament, the entire Old Testament. Uh, it's used that way sometimes. For instance, in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul said, it's written in the law that we men of stammering lips and another tongue. And it was quoting Isaiah. So sometimes it's used that way. Some other times it's used to talk about the Pentateuch. Most of the time, that's what it refers to. Well, if you go to the Old Testament, uh, particularly the Pentateuch, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, we discover that the curse, the punishment for breaking God's law was threefold. It was threefold. The first part of the curse for breaking God's law, we see in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, where God had told Adam that he may eat of all the of the fruit of all the trees in the garden, but not the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the midst of the garden. God said to him, the day you eat of that fruit, you will die. Now, the literal Hebrew actually says that God said, in dying, you will die. In dying spiritually, you will die physically. Now, you know the story. Adam did the unthinkable. He committed high treason. He disobeyed God. And as a result of him doing that, Romans 5.12 says, For by one man sin came into the world, and death, spiritual death by sin, says, And so death passed upon all men, in that all have sinned. Because of Adam's treason, spiritual death came on the scene. Man became separated from God. Amen. Now, we know in the Bible that at least three kinds of death are spoken of. There is spiritual death. There is also physical death. And thirdly, there is the second death, which is the ultimate finality of all deaths. Now, physical death wasn't a part of God's plan. It wasn't in God's program originally. It was as a result of man dying spiritually that his body became mortal and then that's why he's going to die physically. Now, what's physical death? What's spiritual death? What's death? Any kind of death is not a cessation of existence. No, it's not. Death is a separation. When Adam died spiritually, he got separated from God. He got alienated from God. Now, not only was he separated from God, he came in union with the devil. He became a child of the devil. He became a subject of the devil. In John 8, 44, Jesus said to the Pharisees, the strictest sect of the Jews, he said, he of your father, the devil, he said, the works of your father shall ye do. He was a liar from the beginning, a murderer from the beginning. When he tells a lie, he tells it of his own. He's a liar and the father of lies. So we know that the nature of the devil is hatred, murder, and lies. Amen. The nature of God is love, life, and light. So when man fell, when man disobeyed God, spiritual death came into his spirit. The nature of the devil came into his spirit. He became a child of the devil. 
And that's why a man cannot be saved by changing his conduct. You know, man's problem is not just his conduct. It's not. It's not a, a, just a conduct thing. If it were possible for a man to uh, live right, in quote, uh, have the right moral conduct, he'll still die and go to hell. You see, people don't go to hell because they sin. No. People go to hell because they are sinners. Man's problem wasn't just his conduct. His conduct, yes, was a problem, but wasn't the real problem. His bad conduct was a manifestation of the problem. The real problem is this. Man was separated from God. His spirit was dead. He didn't have the life of God. He had the nature of Satan. So he couldn't help but sin. Praise God. But through the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ, eternal life is made available to mankind. Jesus said in John 10, 10, he said, the thief cometh not before to steal and to kill and to destroy. He said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. That word for life there happens to be the word zoe. Now there are four different words for life in the Greek of the New Testament. One is suche, one is bios, another is anastrophe. Suche means natural or human life. Bios means manner of life. Anastrophe means confused behavior. But you see, zoe is life as God has it. Life in the absolute sense. That which the Father has in himself. That which the incarnate Son has in himself. And that's what Jesus brought. He didn't come merely to found... He didn't come to bring a new religion. No. He came that man might have spiritual life imparted to his spirit. Now, for man to have the life of God in his spirit, Satan's dominion over him had to be broken. Satan's dominion over him had to be sorted out. Amen. And thank God it was. And when we got saved, we passed from death unto life. We got redeemed from spiritual death. Yes, the day is coming where physical death will be put on the foot. According to 1 Corinthians 15, 26, that's the last enemy that will be destroyed. Praise God. But you see, we have the life of God in our spirits now. And that life that's in our spirits can quicken our bodies. Amen. Can cause us to live a long life on the earth. And we don't have to die of sickness either. So you see, we're redeemed from spiritual death. That's great. You see, not only are we redeemed from spiritual death, the curse of the law also included sickness and disease. It also included sickness and disease. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 61, God said this. He said, also every sickness and every plague that is not written in the book of this law, them will the Lord bring upon thee. Actually, it's permit upon thee. God doesn't have sickness. The literal Hebrew text of that is not in the causative sense. It's in the permissive sense. Then will the Lord permit to come upon thee. Amen. So you see, sickness and disease is a part of the curse. Eleven diseases were specified in Deuteronomy chapter 28. And then God now said in verse 61, every other one that is not listed, you know, is also a part of the consequence for breaking God's law. Now we know that all have sinned, Romans 3.23, and come short of the glory of God. In Adam, we all violated God's word. And the consequence for breaking God's law was meant to come upon us. But you see, Christ redeemed us from the curse. Amen. He redeemed us from sickness and disease. He redeemed us from spiritual death. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he has made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So you see, Jesus was our substitute. Our sin nature was laid on him 
so that his righteousness is now imparted to us. Now, righteousness is not merely imputed on us. Yes, it is, but not just that. It is actually imparted as well. We have become the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So we're redeemed from spiritual death. And then, like I said, we're also redeemed from sickness and disease. We're redeemed from sickness and disease. First Peter 2.24 says, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, shall live unto righteousness. It says, By stripes ye were healed. So we were healed. Amen. Sickness is a part of that. It's a part of the consequence of breaking God's law. But in Christ Jesus, we have been redeemed from sickness and disease. Matthew 8, 17 says that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the saying himself took our infirmities and bear our sicknesses. Now that's great. But you know something? Not only are we redeemed from spiritual death and redeemed from sickness and disease, we are also redeemed from poverty. Listen to me. Poverty is not a blessing. Poverty is a curse. Poverty is a curse. Poverty is a curse. And in redemption, in redemption, amen, the curse was dealt with. We were redeemed from the consequence of breaking God's law. Now, I've heard some people say that prosperity is not in redemption. That God blessed the earth and said the earth should produce of itself. Yes, God blessed the earth. As long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, wound seas. Yes, yes, God has uh, put the law of sowing and reaping on the earth. The blessing is on the earth and all that. But listen to me. In Christ Jesus, by virtue of our covenant with God, it is your redemptive right to prosper. It is your redemptive right to prosper. Because the consequence of breaking God's law included poverty. You see, if we say that prosperity is not a part of redemption, that prosperity is just a matter of hard work, it's just a matter of diligence. Yes, I know the hand of the diligent will bear rule. Yes, I know. But you see, the Old Testament, the Jews, God said he would bless their, the works of their hands. God said his blessing will make them rich and not add any sorrow to it. If God's servants in the Old Covenant had prosperity as a part of their covenant, don't tell me that, that in the New Covenant we don't have prosperity. I don't believe that. I won't believe that. I can't believe that. That's not in the Bible. And I'm not going to accept it. Are you listening? Poverty is a curse. Poverty is not a blessing. It's a curse. 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 Now, why would I say poverty is a curse? Well, because the Bible does. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy chapter 28. And um, let's just read from verse 15. Deuteronomy 28. It says, But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Now, what are the curses? Cursed shall thou be in the city, and cursed shall thou be in the field. Cursed shall be thy basket and thy store. That's talking about your wallet or your purse and your bank account. Cursed shall be the fruit of thy body, and the fruit of thy land, the increase of thy kind, and the flocks of thy sheep. Remember, these folks, they were uh, an agrarian economy. They planted, 
They had livestock. They had farms. They had lands. God gave them Canaan. And then they got in and different tribes. The land was shared. And so they planted. So that was a lot of the work they did. A lot of them were farmers. And then um, they also reared livestock. So God said that their livestock would be cursed. Amen. As a part of the consequence of breaking his law. Then in verse 19 he said, Cursed shalt thou be when thou comest in. And cursed shalt thou be when thou goest out. Now, if, does, if that doesn't sound like poverty, well, I don't know what poverty is. Then let's go to verse 38. Verse 38. Verse 38 says, Thou shalt carry much seed out into the field, and shalt gather but little in, for the locusts shall consume it. Yeah. You gather much seed out, but you bring little yield. Why? Because the locusts will consume it. Thou shalt plant vineyards and dress them, but shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worms shall eat them. Thou shalt have olive trees throughout all thy coasts, but thou shalt not anoint thyself with the oil, for thine olive shall cast its fruit. Now, that's poverty. Amen. And the Bible says that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. That's part of the consequence for breaking God's law. I had somebody say the other time that the curse of the law really is not about spiritual death, it's not about sickness or disease, it's not about poverty, that the curse really is the law. That the Bible says that cursed is everyone who doesn't continue to in all the things that are written in, in this law. Yes, but you see, how does that curse manifest? How does it manifest? Okay, that the law is the curse. I've heard you. So how does the law, how does the curse manifest? It doesn't manifest any other way than these ways. So, well, that the blessing of Abraham is righteousness. I've heard that. And in a sense, that's true. But you see, by virtue of becoming the righteousness of God, Romans 5.17 says we reign as kings in this life. What do we reign over? We reign over spiritual death. We reign over sickness and disease. We reign over poverty. So it's just a matter of semantics, <laughs> really. We still come down to the same thing. Poverty is a curse. Poverty is not good. Poverty is not good. See, this is what has happened to us. We've heard some folks who were extreme, you know, about prosperity, extreme, and um, who also probably did some things that maybe a, a bit unethical, you know, folks who will merchandise the anointing, folks who will, you know, we've seen that, and we've all been put off by that. We've seen people use high-pressure tactics to get money out of people, you know, you know, bring your Isaac, and then after you bring your Isaac, bring your Ishmael, then after I bring your Ishmael, bring your Keturah. Then bring your Hagar. Bring your Sarah. You know, the God that said they should bring Isaac, he didn't take the Isaac eventually. He told him to go back with his Isaac. But some folks have slaughtered your Isaac. We've seen those things. But you see, what has now happened to us is that some of us have run to the other side. And have gone to the other extreme. And now, we, we, we want to shy away from prosperity. We want to run away from it. Now, we say that poverty in, uh, in the land is quite a, a problem, right? Isn't it? Yes. Yeah, that the, that the poverty index in the country is pretty high. Yes. Well, how are we going to solve that? We're going to solve that. If people are going to prosper, we need to teach about prosperity. It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Holiness is in the Bible. If I'm going to preach the Bible, I need to preach holiness. I need to preach evangelism. I need to preach walking in love. But I also need to preach prosperity. Because that's in the Bible too. 
Someone said, oh, all these prosperity preachers. I want to run away from all these prosperity preachers. Well, better run away from Jesus because he was one of them. Better run away from Paul because he was one of them. Amen. Now, I'm not talking about an extreme emphasis. No. Extremes, I'm not for extremes. But listen to me. God wants us to prosper. God is strong about prosperity. He said, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you know how heaven is? The streets, the streets are of gold. What asphalt is to us is what gold is to him. So gold doesn't freak him out. Are you listening? He said in 3 John 2, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper. That's the word you do. To have a good journey. And you can't very much have a good journey if, if you don't have something to eat. You know, I've traveled business class. I've traveled economy. A, a good journey really you know i know which i know which was i know which one made the journey better do you get what i'm saying so i'm saying it couldn't be god's will for us to lack the bible says let the lord be magnified psalm 37 verse 25 who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servants he does he does in matthew 6 33 the bible says but seek ye first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you he didn't say they'll be taken away what to eat what to drink what to put on they'll be added unto us said in philippians 4 19 but my god shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by christ jesus well i heard a preacher say the other time many many years ago wasn't in this city so don't try to guess who well President said, all that God promises to meet our needs, not our wants. I thought to myself, how I wish you would learn to read. You know, Psalm 23 verse 1 says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. In Psalm 34, he said, young lions do lack and suffer need. He said, those who seek the Lord shall want no good thing. In Psalm 84 verse 11, says, the Lord is a son and a shield. He will give grace and glory. No good thing shall he withhold from them that walk uprightly. In Job 36, 11, he said, if they will obey and serve him, they will spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasures. In Isaiah 1, 19, he said, if you be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. You see, he wants our needs met. He wants our needs met. He wants our wants supplied. In actual fact, God wants us rich. God wants us rich. Now, I didn't say he wants us to be millionaires. We may not all be millionaires. You may be a millionaire and really be poor. And I'm not talking about being poor spiritually. You, can be, you, you could be a millionaire and you're still broke. Let's say what it takes for you to run is in a, a month is a billion. And what you have is 800 million. Every, every month you're 200 million in the red. You know, rich means a full supply. God didn't promise us a lot of millionaires. But we, he wants us rich. Rich means abundant provision. Let me ask you, what's spiritual about not being able to pay your house rent? What's spiritual about it? What's spiritual about not being able to eat three square meals a day? Not because you're fasting, but because you don't have the money. What's spiritual about your kids being sent out from school because you can't pay their fees? What's spiritual about that? And then some folks, they want to fight prosperity. Don't do that. Yes, I know we've seen extremes. We've seen materialism. We've seen some of those things. But you see, don't let's run to the other ditch. We don't throw the baby away with the dirty bath water. You birth a baby. 
the water is dirty. Yeah, you throw the water away, but do you throw the baby away with the water? God wants us rich. It's his will. It's his will. And his word tells us how. And that's what we want to examine. So, if, you see, faith begins where the will of God is known. Faith begins where the will of God is known. Faith begins where the will of God is known. If you have hang-ups about prosperity, maybe you, you, somebody, let's say a preacher, a preacher goes by in a good car, and you say, look at those preachers. They've eaten money again. Or maybe you hear of, uh, of one preacher who flies a jet, and that unnerves you. Someone was talking to me one time about one preacher who was in a jet. So I asked him, I said, well, when he bought his jet, did your money disappear from your account? Now, I'm not saying someone should take ministry resources and um, that was meant to, use, to be used for other things and use them inappropriately for something that's a personal luxury. No, that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is this. Let our minds be renewed about prosperity. God wants us rich. He doesn't want us extravagant. He doesn't want us materialistic. But listen, he wants all our needs met. He wants all our wants supplied. He wants us to have enough. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says, God is able to make all grace abound towards you so that you have in all ways, all sufficiency, in all things, may abound unto every good work. He wants you to have all that you need, all that you want, and still have a lot on top of that so that you can be generous. Now, when people really just say, I don't want so much, I tell you, that's selfish. That's selfish. Even if you don't need it, somebody needs it that you can be a blessing to. The gospel needs it. You can be a blessing to the cause of Christ. So you see, let's renew our thinking on this issue. Poverty, there's nothing good about poverty. I hear some folks swear an oath to poverty. Yeah, some folks do. You see, that's demonic. That's devilish. Because poverty is evil. Poverty is evil. Poverty is evil. You know, some of the same people fighting prosperity are the same people shouting about, oh, the poverty index is high. Oh, poverty. There's so much poverty. So many people are below the poverty line. So, what's the solution? And then at the same time they are saying that, at the same time they are fighting prosperity. Are they well? Praise God. Now I know, if you've seen some stuff, if you've seen some extremes, you'll be put off. I've seen them. I've seen stuff, I, I felt like puking. I've seen people raise, oh gosh, and it was just so unethical. Just not right. You know, that's, that, that exists. But you see, the truth is in the middle of the road. And can we stay with the truth of God's word? Amen. So you, we saw from those scriptures we read in Deuteronomy 28 from verse 15 actually to verse 19 then 38 to 40 that poverty is a curse part of the consequence for breaking god's law now look at the blessing you know galatians 3 14 says that the blessing of abraham might come on the gentiles through jesus christ let's see some things god calls blessing let's see them Deuteronomy 28 from verse 1 and it shall come to pass if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the lord thy god to observe and to do all his commandments, which I commanded this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings, what are they called? Blessings. All these what? Blessings. All these what? 
Blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee. If thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Blessed shall thou be in the city. And blessed shall thou be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of thy body. And the fruit of thy ground. And the fruit of thy cattle. The increase of thy kind. And the flocks of thy sheep. Blessed shall be thy basket. And thy store. Some folks don't have a store. God wants you to have so much in your basket. That you still need a store. To keep a whole lot more in. And he wants both blessed. Verse 6. Blessed shall thou be when thou comest in, and blessed shall thou be when thou goest out. The Lord shall cause thine enemies that rise up against thee to be smitten before thy face. They shall come out against thee one way, and flee before thee seven ways. The Lord shall command the blessing upon thee in thy storehouses, and in all that thou settest thine hand unto. And it shall bless thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. The Lord shall establish thee an holy people unto himself as he hath sworn. If thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God and walk in his ways. You see, for obeying God, he said they will be blessed. And he's talking about that blessing. Verse 10. And all people of the earth shall see that thou art called by the name of the Lord. And they shall be afraid of thee. The Lord shall make thee what? Plenteous. What? Plenteous. Verse 11. The Lord shall make thee? Plenteous. And this is, talk, this is blessing, isn't it? Yeah. So there's nothing, there's nothing, uh, th there's no blessing in, in lean. There's no blessing in not enough. God doesn't want you to have not enough or just enough. He's El Shaddai. He's the God who's more than enough. The Lord shall make thee plenteous in goods, in the fruit of thy body, and in the fruit of thy cattle, and in the fruit of thy ground, in the land which is swear unto thy fathers to give thee. The Lord shall open unto thee his good treasure, the heaven to give the rain unto thy land in his season, and to bless all the work of thine hand. And thou shalt lend unto many nations, and thou shalt not borrow. He's saying that you'll have so much that you won't need to borrow. Instead, you'll have to lend. He's not saying here that it's a sin to borrow. No, if it's a sin to borrow and you're lending, then the person you're lending to is borrowing. Then that means you're helping somebody sin. No, it's not a sin to borrow. Amen. It's, to say it's a sin to borrow will make just as much sense as, as to say it's a sin to take drugs. It's a sin to take medication. No, it's not a sin to take medication. If you need medical help, get it and don't feel condemned about it. Yes, there's divine healing. Yes, there's divine health. Amen. So in the same way, it's saying here that you'll be so blessed that you won't need to borrow. Instead, you'll have to lend. Amen. Verse 13, and the Lord shall make thee the head and not the tail. And thou shalt be above only, and thou shalt not be beneath. If thou hearken unto the commandments of the Lord thy God, which I commanded this day, to observe and to do them. And thou shalt not go aside from any of the words which I commanded this day, to the right hand or to the left, to go after other gods to serve them. So it's obvious. Prosperity is here, isn't it? Your storehouse being blessed, your basket being blessed. The fruit of your cattle, the fruit of your land. You know, that's prosperity. So it's a blessing. And this was, folks, in a covenant placed on the blood of bulls and goats. And if God wanted his servants rich, don't tell me he wants his sons poor. Don't tell me that. That wouldn't line up with the Bible. He wants us rich. He wants us rich. In Genesis, Genesis chapter 12, from verse 1, it says, Now the Lord hath said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country, 
and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. See, God wants you to be a blessing. God wants you blessed. Somebody said, well, the blessing God blessed Abraham with was that it was through his lineage that Jesus came. Certainly. 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 That's the blessing. No doubt. But look, God also blessed him physically. His body was dead. His wife, Sarah, was barren. There was healing that, that, that Sarah obtained for her body. God also blessed him financially. God blessed him materially. So that's included. When they were going to leave Canaan, the Bible says it, uh, leave them on their way to Canaan. Children of Israel, when they were going to leave Egypt, Psalm 105 verse 37 says, he brought them forth with silver and with gold. Amen. And there was not one feeble among their tribes. So he blessed Abraham's descendants materially and financially too. Verse 3 says, And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them, him that cursed thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Well, the next chapter, verse, uh, chapter 13, from verse 1. And Abraham went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him into the south. And Abraham was very rich. Now, in case you think he was very rich in spiritual revelation. Yeah, he was very rich in revelation from God. But, you know... He was rich spiritually, yes, I know, but this verse tells us what he was very rich in. In cattle, you know, and it's not spiritual cattle, it's cattle. I haven't seen spiritual cattle before. In silver, amen, and in gold. That's what kind of a material and financial prosperity. Amen. God blessed him. Notice it says he was very rich. And he says very rich in what? Yeah, in cattle, in silver, in gold. So you see, Poverty is not a blessing. Poverty is a curse. And Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Now, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. You see, this is it. We need to see this. The basis of our prosperity is the finished work of redemption. The basis of our prosperity is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Just like Jesus died and rose from the dead, and his resurrection is a fact, and it's a done deal, Listen, and your healing is a done deal. Your righteousness is a done deal. Your prosperity is a done deal. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. We know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. That we through his poverty might become rich. The context of that place is talking about material and financial things. So it's talking about being made poor financially. Being made rich financially. Yeah, someone says... How, how was Jesus poor? When was Jesus poor? That Jesus in his earth walk was poor. Jesus wasn't poor in his earth walk. He wasn't poor in his earth walk. Someone said when he was born, you see, they were so poor, they had to give birth to him in a manger. It wasn't because there wasn't money. It was because there was no room in the inn. Then, wise men came after he was born. You know, people say, there were three wise men. The Bible doesn't say there were three wise men. The Bible only says they brought three gifts. We don't know how many the wise men were. They might have been 50. But they brought gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gifts of treasure that they brought to the baby. They worshipped the king. Amen. Just as an infant, they brought those treasures. What do you think his parents used those treasures for? You know, there was a time Joseph had to take his family, relocate to Egypt for a while before they came back. 
I bet some of those treasures might have helped a little bit in some of those journeys. Jesus in his ministry, are you listening? He had 12 disciples. Remember the Bible says he that doesn't provide for his own, especially those of his own house. He has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. So God expects that we provide for our families. Now these guys came, they were working with him, they left their families and um, in Luke 22, towards the end of his earthwork, he asked them, he said, when I sent you out, did you lack anything? They didn't lack anything. So their needs were met. Their wants were sorted out. You see, there were people, Jesus had ministry partners who gave to him. You know, sometimes people say from Luke 9.58, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, son of man has nowhere to lay his head, that Jesus was just a vagabond. He didn't have a home. He was just wakajube. He was wakajube to and fro, up and down. Look, that's a lie. Jesus had a home in Capernaum. Yes, he had his own home yes, in Capernaum. He did. Check the Bible well. Amen. Now, was Jesus extravagant? He wasn't. Was Jesus ostentatious? No, the picture we see, he wasn't. But were his needs met? They were. Why his wants supplied. They were. He had so much money, he needed a treasurer. Yeah. How many people have so much money, they need someone just to handle their money? And we're talking about way back. And the treasurer was a thief. Who used to help himself with some of the money in the bag. And yet, they never lacked. Remember when the lady broke the alabaster box of ointment? And the Bible says it was a year's worth of salary. Somebody took a year's worth of salary, let's say 100,000 a month, times 12. That's 1.2 million. Perfume worth 1.2 million, and the person just breaks the whole of it on his feet at a go, and he doesn't think anything of it. He doesn't think that was a waste. It didn't, it, it, it didn't unnerve him. No, it's okay. And then Judas, not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief who had the bag. He said, well, this money, this perfume should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Jesus said something. He said, the poor you have always with you, but you don't have me with you. What was Jesus saying? I'm not among the poor. He said, the poor you have always with you, but you don't always have me with you. Jesus wasn't the poor. Jesus wasn't the poor. You see, Rome then ruled the world, Right? When he was crucified, there were Roman soldiers there and all. When they saw his coat, it's like the U.S. Perhaps, you know, the super world power in the world today, right? Let's say there's a, a Nigerian who commits a crime and he's been uh, killed by firing squad. And American soldiers now come and start fighting over his clothes. I don't think those clothes were rags. <laughs> are you seeing something there so Jesus wasn't poor in his earth walk he wasn't he wasn't he wasn't he wasn't he wasn't a wanderer he had his own home there were you know people that gave to his ministry he a, a, a year's worth of of salary perfumes worth was lavished on him one night and he didn't freak him out amen that doesn't look like a poor man. So when was Jesus poor? Isaiah 53, verses 
4 and 5. The Bible says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Now, what's that talking about? That's talking about Jesus on the cross. So our sin nature, as well as our sins, were laid upon him. Our sicknesses and our diseases were laid upon him. Where? On the cross. When was he made a curse? Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Galatians 3.13 Being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. So he was made a curse when he hung on the tree. Verse 5 says, The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes were healed. Now, that word peace happens to be the Hebrew word shalom. Shalom means nothing missing, nothing broken. It includes safety. It includes wholeness. It includes welfare. It includes happiness. It includes provision. Provision. The punishment that brought us shalom was laid on him. See, Jesus became poor when he hung on the cross. And that's the basis of our prosperity. Because he partook of spiritual death. He partook of sickness and disease. He partook of the curse. He partook of our poverty. So in the vicarious sacrifice of Christ, prosperity is granted to us. See, we have to see this clearly in our spirits. We have to come to terms with the fact that poverty is not a blessing. Poverty is a curse. And prosperity is a blessing. Now, someone said to me the other time, said, you guys... You like to go to the Old Testament and claim the blessings in the Old Testament. But you don't like to claim, you, you, don't, you don't keep the commandments in the Old Testament. I said, really? Let's look at Romans. Romans. I'll tell you what I told the person. I want you to see Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13 from verse 8. The Bible says, Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath done what? Hath done what? Fulfill the law. You see, in the new covenant, there's only one commandment. The Old Testament had about 613 of them. We have one commandment. And what's that commandment? That we love one another as he has loved us. The moment you walk in love, you have kept the entire commandment. In Deuteronomy 5.29, God said, Oh, that there was such a heart in them, that they will fear me and keep all my commandments forever, that it may be well with them and with their children forever. Do you see that? So God wants it to be well with his people. And if he wants it to be well with Old Testament folks, believe me, he wants it to be super well with New Testament folks. In Joshua 1.8, says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. So he wants us prosperous. Psalm 1, from verse 1 to 3, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth its fruit in its season. Its leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. God wants us to prosper. He wants us to prosper. He wants us to prosper. You see, until you settle that in your heart, and you're convinced of it in your spirit that God wants you prosperous, that God wants you rich, 
that rich is not evil, rich is not bad, that nothing is wrong with rich. Yeah, covetousness is evil. Being materialistic is evil. Amen. But not rich. Rich is good. Rich is godly. There are people who love money who are poor. Yeah. Yeah. There are perhaps more poor people that love money than rich people that do. Do you see that? God doesn't want money to have us, but he wants us to have money. And poverty is a curse. However, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. See, Galatians 5.14 also says that all the law is fulfilled in one word. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Amen. So by walking in love, we have kept the commandments, the Old Testament commandments. And if they could keep God's commandments in the Old Testament and be materially blessed for it. Now, by walking in love, in the New Covenant, I've kept the law too. Should I be financially poor for doing it? Then that means God has double standards. He doesn't. He's a good God. He's a good God. He's a good God. In Matthew 7, 11, he said, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? How much more? How much more? How much more? Shall your Father in heaven give good things to them that ask him? James 1, 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So listen, God wants us prosperous. God wants us rich. It makes God look good when you are rich. Makes God look good when you look good. Now, of course, we have to, God wants us rich for the right reason. Not so you can oppress your neighbor. Not so that, hey, all those people that made fun of me, I will show them. They, they must take. I go show them, say, I don't have my, you know. No, 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 no. That's not the right reason. That's not the right motive. He gives us power to get wealth to establish his covenant. Amen. We'll be back after the break. For more information and inquiries, please visit our website www.remanigeria.com or you can reach us on 08100163948 or 08076576163.